Take your Bibles and go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. I want you to notice verse 12. It says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And I want you to notice how death came into the world. It came into the world by man. Man brought it in with sin. God, when he made the world, it was good. That was not there. It was something that man brought in. And it says, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice that by one man's offense, by what one man did, death reigned. Notice that how death reigned. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto the justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. And you might say, well, I don't like that, that one man was able to cause all to be sin. Well, you know what? It's okay because by one man you can be made righteous too, if you'll believe on Jesus Christ. And it says, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through the righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we see very clearly in Romans chapter 5 that death was something that came into the world by man, by Adam, but life is something that comes in the world by Jesus Christ. There's no doubt about that, but right now we are at a time where death is kind of reigning, isn't it? And if you don't think death reigns, then you know well, how come the cemeteries keep getting new members all the time? And all of us in here if the Lord tarries is coming, are eventually going to be buried. You know why? Because we've all sinned and we're going to die just like Adam died. That, because death is very much still in power. But I want you to notice what it says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Go ahead and turn over there. Because our Bible that we hold in our hand is basically a story about how an almighty and holy God made man and then how that man went and rebelled against God and caused mankind to fall. And then basically what we're seeing from Genesis on to Revelation is the story of how God basically began a plan right there in the garden to restore the fellowship of man to God. We see in Genesis that man, Adam, he used to walk with God in the garden in the cool of the day. God made man to fellowship with him. God wants the fellowship with man, but God is holy and we're sinful. And so we can't possibly have fellowship with God like they did back then while we're in this sinful condition. And God being holy, he can't just bring himself to where, you know, down and just be sinful himself. That's not going to work. 
Something has to change with us. He's got to do something to fix us. And if God's going to do something to fix us, he's got to do it in his righteousness. He's got to do it in a way that will not compromise his holiness. And you say, well, what does that all involve? Well, you know, that's where it can get really deep. We can get really theological. But basically, that's what our Bible is showing us. And there is, I mean, and we'll, we've only ever scratched the surface on all these things as far as why God had to do things the way he did. And we'll probably never fully understand it until we're with him. But we do see that ultimately where this thing is going is one of these days we are going to have that fellowship restored with God. And the reason that fellowship is going to be able to be restored is because of Jesus Christ, because he has removed our sin from us. And one of these days he's going to change our vile body. We're going to get into some of that in a little bit. But we, haven't, there's, we have several enemies right now. We have our flesh that is an enemy. We have the devil that's an enemy. We have many enemies that are in, the, in this world. But the Bible tells us that one of these days God is going to conquer all of our enemies. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I want you to notice uh, what it says. It says in verse 21, For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, own order Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. Then come at the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. When man sinned, man brought an enemy into the world more powerful than any man that, you know, that would ever live except for one, Jesus Christ. Man brought death into the world and death is an enemy. Death is someone that will eventually get all of us. He's going to get all of us unless Jesus Christ returns. And I don't know about you, but I'm anxious for that day when that enemy gets destroyed. I'm looking forward to that. And the Bible says that that's the last enemy that Jesus Christ is going to destroy. Jesus Christ is going to reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. One of these days, this kingdom that Jesus Christ is building, this, that he has uh, purchased with his blood, all, all these people who are saved, one of these days, that kingdom is going to be given to the Father. But it's not going to happen until Jesus Christ himself has removed all enemies from this earth and the last one that he's going to take out is death and that's the title of my message tonight is the last enemy the last enemy and i am looking forward to a day when there's no no more enemies i don't know about you all but you know i'm kind of i get kind of tired of enemies sometimes you know i get kind of tired of people that i don't even know being my enemies and hating on me i get tired of people that i know becoming my enemies and hating on me you just sometimes it's like man we just got, there's so many enemies you know and Sometimes people that should be your friends, it's like, man, I like you and you, you hate my guts, you know, and it just kind of stinks. And then they become an enemy and, you know, yeah, and, you know, it's just, it's no fun. But one of these days, all enemies are going to be destroyed. And in reality, the biggest enemy that most of us struggle with is this enemy right here. You know, most of our enemies we have, we like to think is because we're spiritual. But most of our enemies that we have made on this earth, too, are because we got in the flesh. And so in reality, you know, we're our own worst enemy. And I'm looking forward to the day when Christ gets rid of that enemy and gives me a new glorified body that's not going to struggle with sin anymore. 
But I want you, the first thing we need to understand about the coming destruction of death is that while it hasn't been destroyed yet, Jesus Christ has already established his dominance over death. And it's important to understand because there are some clear scriptures in the Bible that shows that Jesus Christ has power over death. Jesus Christ has already done plenty to display his dominance over death, to display the fact that he has power over death. But Jesus Christ has not removed death from the world yet. Jesus Christ has allowed death to still do the thing that death does. He is definitely still around, but Jesus has established his dominance over death. Now, how has Jesus established his dominance over death? Well, first off, by raising people from the dead. Do you understand that's one of the reasons Jesus raised people from the dead? It was, one, to show us that he has the power to save. But understand, too, the whole point of him showing he has the power to save is salvation means nothing if we all can just die and stay dead. There's a resurrection coming. So when Jesus would raise people from the dead, it wasn't just proving that he could save you spiritually, but that he was going to resurrect you in the future, too. This was Jesus displaying his dominance over death, his power that he had over death. We see in John eleven twenty three, Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know he shall rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? So we saw how one man brought death into the world, but one man also brought life. One man also brought resurrection of the dead. And in order for us to receive that eternal life, we have to believe in that one who brought the resurrection of the dead, who brought eternal life, and that was Jesus Christ. And folks, our belief and our faith in Christ, it's not baseless. Jesus proved his dominance over death. All he did was a guy who had been dead for four days. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And the guy came out of his grave. What was he doing right there? He's displaying his dominance over death. But did you know that Jesus displayed his dominance over death? Even before the New Testament, we see people in the Old Testament being raised from the dead. What, what was the point of that? What was the point of raising? And think about this. Everyone who has ever been raised from the dead died again later, didn't they? They had a second funeral for Lazarus, didn't they? Which is pretty cool. You know, but at the same time, uh, you know, they, uh, they all died again. What was Jesus doing? What's the purpose of raising from the dead? They're just going to die again. You know what he was doing? He was showing his dominance over death. You know why he did that too? People try to say, well, the death, burial, and resurrection, it's not in the Old Testament. It was in the, it was in the Old Testament. It was in the Old Testament in many places, but it was there whenever people would rise from the dead. You're not supposed to be able to rise from the dead. But yet God would allow you know, men like Elisha to raise somebody from the dead. What's he doing? God is displaying his power and his dominance that he has over death. Because you and I, we can't do anything about death. We can't overcome death. But Jesus Christ, he was going to overcome death for us. And he's always had dominance over death. And so that whenever people would be raised from the dead, this is Christ showing his dominance over it, showing that he is superior. And so while those victories over death were significant, they were only temporary. His main display, his ultimate display that he has had to date of his dominance over death was at his resurrection. I mean, when Jesus himself 
rose from the dead, that showed a dominance over death at a level not yet seen and at a level that has yet to come. Now, a greater one is coming. Okay, a greater one is coming. But folks, what Jesus did at his resurrection was more significant than people realize. Revelation 1.17 says that when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. You know, unfortunately, a lot of Christians today, they believe in the death, burial, and resurrection, but they don't like to talk about the death. But folks, it is very significant that Jesus Christ died because what's the reason death is so bad is because you can't come back from death. Nobody can come back from death of their own power. You can't do that. If you die in your sin, it's bad because you die and you go to hell and you stay there. And people, they often say, and I've talked about this before, but it's worth repeating. People are always trying to figure out how we can cram an eternity of hell in the three days and three nights that Jesus was in hell. Hell was not the payment for sin. The cross was payment for sin. Death was the payment for sin. When Jesus died, he paid for sins on the cross. But that the reason that payment was so significant is because it killed him. He died and he was literally dead. And that's the payment. And you and I, we don't want to make that payment because did you know, did you know we're all capable of dying? Any, any one of us are capable of dying. In fact, we're going to die. But the problem with that is we can't come back from that. And if you go to hell, that stinks because you're just stuck there. Jesus, he died and he went there, but because he's Jesus, it couldn't keep him, did it? He it wasn't able to hold him. And so Jesus Christ, when he died... Okay, and then he came back from that. That right there was a victory over death like had never taken place before. And it is proof to us that we will rise again someday. It is proof to us that we can trust in him for our salvation. He conquered death. He died. He went to the place where sinners go when they die. He went to hell and he got out of there. He not only did he get out of there, but when he got out of there, he came out of there, and you know what he has? What, you know what it says there in Revelation? He says, I have the keys of hell and of death. What's he doing? You know what he's doing with those keys? He's showing his authority. Yeah, I died, but you know what? I dominated death. I came back from it, and I have the keys of hell and death. And you know what? When he came back with the keys of hell and death, understand, he didn't destroy death yet, did he? Jesus still has not destroyed death, but he has displayed his dominance over death. He, displayed, he showed that he's always had dominance over death. He did it by raising people from the dead in the Old Testament. He did it by raising people from the dead in his earthly ministry while he was in, in human form. Not while he was in, you know, in, in a glorified state. While he was in human form, when he, was, when he had taken upon him the seed of Abraham, when he was a man who would get hungry, who would get thirsty, who would get tired, he was still able to raise people from the dead. In that state, he was able to do it. And then when he died himself, he got out of that. What is he doing? He's displaying his dominance over death. And now he's standing there in heaven. He's like, I've got the keys of hell and of death. This is all, And so only a man could get the keys of hell and of death. Only a man could do it. Because understand, man is the one that brought death. 
into the world. Man is the one that caused all to die. And it has to be a man who's going to conquer death. It has to be a man who's going to bring life. And so again, we all are, are in Adam, aren't we? We're, we all descend from Adam. And so because of that, we're all going to die. But thank God, if we'll put our faith in Christ, we'll be born again. We will be, cut, we will be in Christ. And because of that, we can be made alive. But it had to be a man. And he did. He got the keys of hell and of death. So we need to understand that right now, while Jesus has established dominance over death, it's still not destroyed. It is very active, even though he is death is not in total control. So the big question is, okay, what's Christ waiting for? It's like, okay, he's already displayed his dominance over death. I mean, and, and it's, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like in a fight. All right, if we may get a little carnal. But, you know, let's think back in the gladiator days and stuff. You know, often when they would have a fight and stuff going on, you know, once it kind of, you know, the guy had the other one down and it was clear he was going to win, you know, he might look to the audience, you know, like, what do you want me to do? You know, and you, we've all seen the things with the thumbs up or the thumbs down, you know, and they would want to take him out, right? And it's like Jesus, when he rose from the dead, that was like when he just showed, I've got death. I've got the keys, you know, and he... As soon as I'm ready, he's going out and it's like, you know, we're all standing here on earth and we're just like, you know, <laughs> but, but he's not ready yet. He's not ready to destroy it. I mean, he's got his foot on his neck, but death is still breathing. Death is still doing his thing. And as anxious as we are to see death go, Jesus Christ hasn't taken him out yet. Now, why is that? Now, back to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 23, it says, but every man in his own order Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ that is coming. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. The reason Jesus Christ is not eliminating death yet is because of the fact we are currently living in a time or an era, you can say, where Christ is building up his kingdom. That's what's going on right now. Okay, right now, Jesus Christ is raising up a kingdom. We see in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds. And every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him. And all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so. Amen. So notice, Jesus, he isn't raising up a kingdom through flesh and blood. Because flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. There's not a race of people that he's raising up for a kingdom. Okay? None. And, and, but he is raising up a kingdom of people by cleansing them in his blood, like we see in Revelation. And notice these, pe these are a people that he is giving eternal life. And these people are a fallen people who have put in their faith and trust in him. This kingdom that Christ is raising up is from the very people that he put on the earth in the beginning that sinned, that fell who were dead in their trespasses and sins, Jesus Christ 
is wanting to raise up a kingdom through us, through mankind. As wicked as man is, as sinful as man is, it also says in Romans chapter 5, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even though man rebelled against God, God looked at man, he still loved man, God still wants to raise the kingdom. God said, I'm going to find a way to raise the kingdom up through these people. And God knew exactly what to do, and he did it through his son. And so where we are currently at right now is we are trying to raise up a people. And we do this by getting people saved. We're trying to build the kingdom right now. Jesus Christ wants a kingdom. And I do. I believe it's very clear Jesus wants a very large number of people being saved. And we need to do our part to make that happen. Now, here's what I don't know. I don't know this for sure. Either way. But is there an appointed time when Jesus is going to return? You know, is there an appointed time that only the Father knows about? Or is it an appointed number? Because again, he wants a kingdom. So is he waiting for a time or is he waiting for a number? So, here's the thing. If it's an appointed time, you know what? We need to hurry up and get as many people saved as possible so they can avoid hell and go to heaven. If it's an appointed number, then we need to hurry up and get a bunch of people saved so we can hurry up and get to that number and get out of here. Either way, you know what we need to be doing? We need to be getting people saved. Either way, it's to our benefit to get as many people saved as possible. I don't know if he's waiting for an appointed time or an appointed number. If it's an appointed time, the clock is ticking. If it's an appointed number, the clock's not moving fast enough. Let's go get more people saved. I don't know for sure. I just know he wants us getting people saved. And so we need to get that done. And after Jesus finishes building his church, then he is going to come back and he is going to put a beat down on death like never before. But he's still not going to destroy it yet. And make sure we understand this because it's going to help us understand a passage coming up. But understand when, so Jesus Christ, understand all those people he raised from the dead before, everyone who Jesus ever raised from the dead eventually died again. Okay? But Jesus, he is the first begotten of the dead. Why is that? Because Jesus rose from the dead never to die again. What did he say? He said, I was dead, but I'm alive forevermore. And that's what he is going to do at the resurrection. At the rapture, when he returns, he's going to raise up all the saints from Adam or from Abel who died first all the way to whoever the last one is. He is going to raise all of them never to see corruption. They're going to, again, they're going to be alive forevermore. And folks, that will be a defeat of death like never before. Think about the millions that death is going to lose that day he got it he got every one of these people killed because of their sin but jesus christ is going to raise them from the dead but he's still not going to destroy death and look what it says in first corinthians 15 51 it says behold i show you a mystery we shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye at the last trump for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? 
O grave, where is thy victory? Now, folks, this isn't really a message tonight about our doctrine when it comes to the rapture. But let me just throw this in for you. Did you know that the whole mythical idea of us just vanishing is based off of this verse? We shall not asleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Okay, now let's just talk about this for a minute. What does it mean to be changed? Well, according to this passage, it's this mortal putting on immortality. Who says immortality is invisible? You know, who says incorruption is invisible? It doesn't say that. It says we'll be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. This is not saying the entire event of Christ's return happens in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. It says our change happens in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. The Bible tells us that when he appears, we will be like him for we will see him as he is. At some point while we're on this earth, we're going to see him come in the clouds. And when we see him, we're going to be changed immediately. But how long it's going to take from his appearance to our change to the angels gathering us up? I don't know. I personally, I think the longer it takes, the cooler of an event it's going to be. Especially when it happens after the sun is dark and the moon turned to blood and all that. But either way, it's going to be an awesome event. And folks, the only verse for a disappearance is that right there, the change. But this is the corruptible putting on incorruption. That is not invisible. Okay? And the other verse that they will say, depending on what the argument is, is they'll say, well, the Bible says this lightning shineth out of the east even of the west. That's fast. So now Matthew 24 is about the rapture again. It's always about the rapture when they need it to be, and then it's not as soon as they don't need it to be. It's pretty laughable. You know, I, I needed to throw that in there. But notice, it says, so, now watch this. Because this is just real clear. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, even a pre-tribber will admit, this is at the rapture. When this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? So when we change that moment, then is brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Well, what is that saying? That's Isaiah chapter 25 and verse 8. I encourage you to write that reference next to your, uh, in your Bible next to 1 Corinthians 15. It says, he will swallow up death and victory. And now this does not mean he's eliminating, or eliminating death. This is just saying he's swallowing up in victory. He has beaten down death again. Just like Jesus displayed, you could say Jesus defeated death when he raised Lazarus. He, he defeated death in that instant. You could say he defeated death when he rose from the dead. Okay? He's defeated death many times. He's displayed his dominance over death many times. And when he raises all the believers at the rapture, right there, you know what you can just say? It, that Death is swallowed up in victory. I mean, just wow. You want to talk about a victory that day? Death wasn't able to hold on to one saved person. Jesus raised up every single one of them. Death is swallowed up in victory. But it's not saying it's eliminated. Death has not been eliminated yet. He's still around. Even though badly beaten again. Badly beaten again, but left to drag his dirty carcass around just long enough so one of these days Jesus could, one more time, one more time, give him the final death blow. But notice how he said he will swallow up death in victory and the Lord God 
will wipe away tears from off all faces. And the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth, for the Lord has spoken it. And it shall be said in that day. In what day? In the day that death is swallowed up in victory. In the day when he's wiping tears from off all faces. Well, in that day, um, lo, they'll say, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Now, people a lot of times they like to say rapture is not in the book of Revelation, or if they do say it's in there, it's in Revelation chapter 4, which is absolutely ridiculous. And, but look what it says in Revelation chapter 7. Okay, nobody will argue 1 Corinthians 15 is the rapture. No one will argue. But folks, you can't argue that, for, that Isaiah chapter 25 is the rapture because Paul quoted it. Paul said, when this happens, when you put on immortality, then is brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And, and he was referring to Isaiah chapter 25. In Revelation 7 and verse 9, after this I beheld and lo, a great earthquake, which no, and, uh, or a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Notice how this, these people are crying out about salvation. And, and says, And one of the elders answered, saying to me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said to him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them, and they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, or any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Are we going to try to pretend that this isn't the event of Isaiah chapter 25? Are we going to try to pretend that this is not the rapture? There is absolutely no doubt that this right here is the rapture. This is when death is swallowed up in victory. And when death is swallowed up in victory... God's going to wipe away tears from off all faces and we're going to be with him forever, never to, never to cry again, never to die again. And so the resurrection or the rapture will be the greatest defeat of death since the resurrection of Christ because our resurrection, unlike the ones from the past, will be permanent. And you know, the truth is too, the longer somebody's been dead, even better it is when they do get raised from the dead. Because again, you know, you raise somebody from the dead when they've only been dead a short time. That's still a miracle. But remember, even though Jesus had raised people from the dead when he got to Lazarus, like it's been four days. You know, yeah, I know you raised other people from the dead, but this has been four days. But you know what? He did it. Even when he stank, he still raised them from the dead. What's he doing? Showing his dominance. And one of these days, Jesus is going to raise people from the dead who've been dead, dead for almost 6,000 years. You know, again, just showing his dominance over death. And so Revelation 1, 5 says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Jesus is the first begotten of the dead. Acts thirteen thirty two says, And we declare unto you glad tidings how that the promise which was made unto the fathers 
God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, and that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second Psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith also another Psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things which could not be justified by the law of Moses. So Jesus' resurrection, Jesus being begotten from the dead, this was something that was prophesied. This was something that God said was going to come. And so when, they're, when the apostles are preaching this to the people there at that day, they're letting them know, hey, you can count on the resurrection of the dead. That was something that the Jews often would dispute with the Sadducees. You can count on this. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of what God said he is the first begotten of the dead. He rose to not see corruption anymore. And if you'll put your faith in him, the same thing can happen to you. So after our resurrection, we need to understand too, there will still be death in the world, but just not from us. There will still be tears in the world, but not from us. In Revelation 7, when he's wiping away tears from off all faces, it's referring to the faces of those who are around the throne. It's referring to those who have been redeemed from the earth, those who have been resurrected, those who have received their glorified bodies. They're, they're people from every nation, kindred, and tongue. You know, why are they saying nation, kindred? How, did, how was he able to look at people and know they're from every nation, kindred, and tongue? You know why? Same reason we can tell there's people from here from different nations, kindreds, and tongues. You know why? We have a different look, some of us. But because, and, and the thing is, in heaven, we are we're going to have a glorified body, but you know, I think there's going to be some resemblance. I think black people still be black in heaven. You know, I think, I think that's just, I think it's the way it's going to be. And you know what else too? We also saw earlier in revelation before the rapture, what was, who was under the altar? It was the souls of men under the altar. Just mentioned the souls. Why do they call it that? They don't have their bodies yet. These people in revelation seven, they have their bodies. These are not tribulation martyrs which some people are saying. They try to say they're tribulation martyrs. But wait a minute. In Revelation 6, we see souls under the altar. It just refers to them as being souls. There. Here, we're seeing a multitude from all over the world. How do we know this? Why? Because these are raptured people. These are resurrected people during this time. And so, for us, again, death is done. It, it can't touch us. We're glorified. We're like Christ. We're going to rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years, but understand that enemy still isn't defeated yet. You know why? Because while death is the last enemy to be defeated, he's not the only enemy that's still left to be defeated. There are still more enemies that need to be defeated. And so that, this helps us understand kind of the purpose of Christ's coming to this earth and his kingdom he's going to set up on this earth. Look what it says in Acts chapter 3 and verse 19. It says, repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. 
And the reason death will not be fully destroyed when Christ returns is because there's still some things that need to be fulfilled. For example, one of the reasons Christ can't destroy death at his return is because there's a lot of people he still needs to kill. There's a lot of judgment that still has to come. There's a lot of people that are still going to need to be thrown in the lake of fire. He's still got the devil that he's got to throw in the lake of fire. There's still a lot of work that has to be done. He mentions, too, how Christ is going to return at the restitution of all things. There are many things that the prophets have spoken of that have yet to be fulfilled. There are things that need to take place on this earth that have not been fulfilled yet. The kingdom of David needs to be restored before Christ can return. And the kingdom of David will be restored when Jesus Christ is back sitting on a throne in Jerusalem. And that day is coming. We're looking for that. He's going to rule and reign from Mount Zion. There's still land promises. That's, and these aren't being fulfilled since 1948. No, they're going to be fulfilled when Jesus Christ returns and he resurrects people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he's going to give Abraham the land promise. The Bible tells us in Hebrews, Abraham never received the promises, but he saw them afar off. And you know what? He's still going to get them. Okay? Not his unbelieving descendants. No, Abraham is going to get it. So there's a lot of things that still need to be fulfilled. And that's why it said, it talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, we looked at this a couple times, when it talks about him putting all rule and authority and all power. He must reign until he had put all enemies under his feet. Because you see, there are, there's a, man has never been able to figure out how to get rid of sins. Because you know, even when God gave us a system that theoretically could get rid of sin and bring peace on earth and wonderful things, Man kept failing. How did it go? How did, how did the law go after when God gave it to Israel? Didn't go very well, did it? God gave them the things of the tabernacle. I mean, God, I mean, not only did God give them all these things, God did supernatural things to help them along. And yet, they failed miserably, didn't they? So understand, all these things that God gave them, man was never able to get it done. Man was never able to bring righteous judgment to the earth. I mean, folks, we've always had perverts walking around on this earth unpunished. There's always been murderers and whoremongers and people who have not got what's coming to them. There's, it's, it's always been around. And one of these days, Jesus Christ is going to come and he's going to show us how to get it done. And he's going to have a lot of help with people who he's changed into people into someone who's like him. And we're going to help with that. And we're actually going to do a good job. We don't always do so good here on this earth. Because we kept keep letting our flesh get in the way. But one of these days, all these things that were prophesied in the Old Testament are going to be fulfilled during the millennium. Now, I'm not going to pretend that I know what all Jesus is going to do or what he needs to do in the millennium. There's a lot of things we could talk about, but I'm, I'm convinced whatever Jesus needs to get done, he's going to get it done. I'm, I'm convinced of that. This is a subject we, we could spend forever talking about. It. But what's clear... When Jesus has finished fulfilling all things, he is going to deliver up the kingdom to the Father. But not until all enemies are destroyed. Because let me tell you, God is is holy, and God isn't going to accept the kingdom with any flaws in it. And so after Jesus Christ destroys death, then he is going to give it to the Father. So that's why... Death is the last enemy. Now look what it says in Revelation chapter 20. Turn over to Revelation chapter 20. 
Verse 11, it says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose faith the earth, face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is after the millennium. This is after the final earthly battle of Gog and Magog has taken place. After Jesus Christ has defeated Satan again. And understand, Jesus has already displayed his dominance over Satan too. In many ways, first off, Jesus displayed his dominance over Satan when he threw him out of heaven. Jesus displayed his dominance over Satan on earth when Satan couldn't tempt him in the wilderness. And Jesus is going to display his dominance over Satan when he cast him into hell for a thousand years. But he's going to let him back out again. Again, because I don't understand why all these things have to be done. I don't understand why God has to do it that way. I, I trust him. He's going to get it done. And when they let Satan out, I'm not going to be up there in heaven thinking, Lord, why are you letting him out? Do you realize the kind of damage he can do? Listen, he can't do anything without God's permission. And because Jesus has already displayed his dominance over death. But we see that in the end, in that final judgment day, that he is going to throw all all who are not written in the book of life. You know who that is? All whose sins have not been washed in the blood of the Lamb. They're all getting thrown into the lake of fire. And then, after that, he is going to deliver up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule, authority, and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Now, folks, how do you throw death into the lake of fire? You ever thought about that? So how, how, how is that going to go when he throws death into the lake of fire? I, I can picture it pretty good in my head when he throws the devil in the lake of fire. I can kind of, you know, so how do you throw death into the lake of fire? Is death a person? Is it going to be a dude in a black robe with a skeleton face and a sickle in his hand? You know, uh, with, you know is, is that what it's going to be? No. You know, what it, you know what it means to throw death into the lake of fire? You know why that is going to be what destroys death? Because, remember, man brought death in the world. And all those who have been written in the book of life are those who have put their faith and trust in Christ. And Jesus has cleansed us from all of our sin. At this point, he has glorified all of us, removing all sin from us. So, folks, there, is no, there, there will be no sin anymore, anymore at that point. We will not be capable of sin anymore when it gets to that point. All those whose names have not been written in the book of life, he's going to throw all of them into hell. All men who still have sin in them are going to be cast into hell. That's how death gets thrown in the lake of fire. It's by throwing all the people into the lake of fire because death comes from us. Death is because of sin. And so the way Jesus Christ defeats death the way he fully and finally defeats him is by completely removing all sin 
from the believers and throwing all unbelievers into the lake of fire. And when it gets to that point, ladies and gentlemen, sin's gone. At that point, sin is gone, death is over, and Jesus Christ is going to be able to present a kingdom to the Father. And at that day, you know what we're going to get to do? We're going to get to see Him. We're going to get to see the Father at that point. You realize for a thousand, we will have been here on a thousand years on this earth in a glorified body. We still won't have seen God the Father yet. You ever thought about that? We still want to have experienced that. I mean, imagine, we sang the song, We Shall Behold Him Today, that you know, gets me pretty fired up, thinking about seeing Jesus Christ in the clouds. I mean, folks, and that's going to be huge. I mean, the Bible talks about the brightness of His coming. I mean, it's going to be huge when that happens. It's going to blow our minds. It's literally going to change us, transform us. We're going to become like Christ. We, we can't even imagine what that's going to fully be like. But we're excited about it. But we see that a thousand years later, all of a sudden, we're going to be holding God the Father. And it says in Revelation 21, verse 1, after these events of Revelation 20, it says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Why do you have to get rid of the old heaven and the whole earth? It was too stained from sin. How is he, he going to get rid of it? Is he just going to make a whole new planet? No. You know what he does? And this is, I'm not, we're not going to go to the scriptures on this. He's going, just like he's able to cleanse us, just like he's able to give, he's not going to just give us a whole new body. He's just going to change this one. He's going to fix this earth. He's going to change this earth. He's going to cleanse it through a baptism of fire. A baptism of fire that will burn off anything corruptible, anything bad. It will be completely removed. And it says, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, and I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. Folks, what's happened? Just like God used to come down in the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day, one of these days, God's coming back. God, we've, been, we've been celebrating today Jesus coming back to this earth, but you know one of the reasons we're excited about Jesus coming back to this earth? Because he's going to fix a bunch of stuff. He's going to get rid of all our enemies. He's going to change us. He's going to glorify us. And he's going to prepare this world for a thousand years to receive God the Father again. And we're going to get to see God the Father come in all his glory. And it says, And God himself shall be with them and shall be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death. Neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall be, there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. So, folks, and that verse ought to get you excited right there, too. Because we make a pretty big deal about the Word of God here, don't we? We make a really big deal about how the written word of God is something that is preserved, inspired, we can count on. It's, it's, not, it's always going to be here. You can't destroy it. And you know what? When God tells us about the greatest event that is ever going to come in human history, in the universe, after he tells us all these wonderful things, you know what he told him to do? He said, write it. Write it down. What I'm telling you to do, write it down. You ever heard somebody say that before? They're telling you to do something. You know, write it down. You know what they're saying? Listen, you can count on me. Get it, get it written down. Write, write it down. And God said about that to, to John. He said, write this down, for these words are true and faithful. This is going to happen. We're not, we're not changing this. The, he's saying, write this down, just like in the beginning God created the heaven and earth was written down. He's saying, write this down, just like the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ was written down. 
And just like we celebrate all these things in the past that God wrote, and sure enough, they happen. God said when it comes to the return of Christ, when it comes to God himself dwelling on this earth again, he said, write it down for these words are true and faithful. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And folks, we should celebrate it just like it's already happened. We should do that. We should celebrate this as if it's a done deal because it is a done deal. And so once this work is done, once it is that is is completed by the one man, Jesus Christ, where he does, where he defeats all enemies, where he defeats death, Jesus Christ is going to reunite God the Father with his creation. We will walk with him again. And we will be with him for all eternity. We will be safe this time. There's not going to be a tree that we have to worry about. You say, why was it even there? You know what? God gives us a choice. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen? We've, we've had our choice. We've, God gave us a choice. You know what he did? He sent Jesus Christ and he made him the choice. And those of us who put our faith and trust in him, he saved us and we're never going to lose that salvation. We will have nothing to worry about and we will be safe because all enemies will have been removed. They will be gone. They will have been defeated forever. And I don't know about you. I'm looking forward to this. I don't know about you, but I, I, I believe in the coming of Christ. I believe in the re reuniting of God with his creation, just as much I believe, as I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just as much as we believe anything else in the Bible, we believe that these things are going to happen, and we ought to rejoice in them. And we should, as Christians, we should have a victorious attitude. We should sing joyful-sounding songs about the death of Christ. You know why? Because we understand what that did for us. We should sing joyful songs about the resurrection. Because it happened. And we should sing joyful songs about the return of Christ because it will happen. There is no doubt about that. And we don't need to doubt it. There's no, re there's, there's no reason to doubt it. The proof that it's going to happen, I mean, God can't, couldn't give any more proof. And the greatest proof that he gave was his resurrection from the dead. That was it. And so if we claim to believe in a resurrection of Jesus Christ, then yes, you should believe in your resurrection too. And if you don't, if listen, if there is no resurrection of the dead, Christ isn't risen. And we're false prophets, your faith is in vain, this earth is all there is, and we're all men most miserable. But that's not the case. And so I don't know about you, I'm looking forward to that day. And I hope, it, I hope today, if it did anything, this got you a little more excited about the coming of Christ. And so with that, let's pray to your Lord. I thank you so much for these wonderful promises that you've given us in your word. Lord, I thank you that you didn't just make a bunch of promises uh, without giving us proof that you can keep those promises. Lord, the, the proof is abundant uh, in the scriptures. It's even abundant in our own lives with what you've done and you giving us your Holy Spirit and the things we're able to see every day. And we just thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, you'll help us to live victorious lives and help us to always be watching and waiting for your return. In your name we pray. Amen.